The following audio is from Park Church in Denver, Colorado. More information about Park Church is available online at parkchurchdenver.org. This morning's scripture reading is Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20. That's Matthew 28, starting in verse 16. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the word of the Lord. Be to God. Thanks, Amanda. Good morning, Park Church. Good to see you all. Uh, My name is Gary. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, It's good to be with you all. For those in the building, good to see you. Seeing faces again is always encouraging. For those joining us online, we're grateful that you're staying engaged in this season. Um, Just for everybody to know, this again is our, kind of our plan indefinitely is to continue to host limited capacity in-person gatherings where we follow the government guidelines and the guidelines given by health officials to try to create safe space here in our building to gather together for all who are comfortable and feel able to be present uh, in a safer environment, um, but also for those who don't feel comfortable to continue to live stream our 10 a.m. service uh, so you can watch it in homes or in backyards with family or friends or other folks in your gospel community. And so whatever you feel most comfortable with, we're trying to create a context for worship that's safe for everybody and creates space that can kind of accommodate different people in different seasons of life or situations of life and comfort levels. And so we're really grateful for your patience with us. Our hope is that this model gives us the ability as guidelines, if they kind of loosen, we can fit more people in the building little by little. If they kind of have to tighten back up, we'll kind of limit these gatherings again, but it allows us to kind of walk through this and adapt as the season continues to change ahead of us. And so um, thanks for your patience. Thanks for your graciousness. Thanks for your engagement. Uh, It means a lot. Um, Before we dive in, just a few things. As, As John mentioned at the beginning of the service, Um, with the shooting of Jacob Blake this past week. uh, There's a deep sense of grief and loss and pain that's happening around our nation, around issues of racial injustice. And uh, and then there's additional pain and grief and angst and anger and animosity around how should we respond to these situations that happen. And I just want to remind you what we've talked about throughout this summer, that God has called us as his people to reflect his heart. And so when Jesus is talking about what the heart of God is like and what it means to be people that reflect his heart, this heart of love, where we love people, we're supposed to look on those who are hurting with compassion. And with compassion. Just to grieve and to feel and to move towards to try to understand and to lean in and engage. Not to make judgments and not to jump to criticism or not to jump to think you have the right way for, but to actually listen and to learn and to love and to feel and to move towards and then to find ways to use your resources, your life, your energy, your agency, your voice to care for the hurting. This isn't political. That's not political. That's Christianity. That's not partisan. 
That's gospel living. That's the gospel in action, creating the love of God within us that moves us towards people, especially the marginalized, the vulnerable, the voiceless, and the oppressed. This is, this is Christianity, and we're going to continue to lean into these things, not because we're trying to make some political stand, but because we're trying to stand on the gospel and reflect the heart of God. And so I want to continue to encourage you to weep with those who weep, to learn, to lean in, to lean in with humility and love and compassion and tenderness, and then to, and to find ways to engage and to be active, to love your neighbor as yourself, the way that God has shown us his love. We've been talking for the past couple of weeks about what does it mean to follow Jesus in this kind of a cultural moment, in the midst of a season like what 2020 has been. What does it mean to follow Jesus? Our mission is to make disciples of Jesus, to help people follow Jesus. What does that look like? So a couple of weeks ago, we talked about that we're living in this age of the wilderness, that the wilderness isn't just 2020, that the age on this side of the resurrection of Jesus and before he comes again is a wilderness where we are, as human beings, navigating through tension and through angst and through loss and through grief, and God is with us in the wilderness. He's speaking to us, providing for us. He's revealing things within us. He's refining our faith, building our hope in Christ all through this journey. And so then we talked last week about what does it actually mean to follow Jesus? What does it mean to be a disciple? What does it mean to be an apprentice of the rabbi Jesus? To actually be with him, to pay attention to his presence, to learn from his teaching, to walk in his ways, to watch the way he loves, and let his love and his kindness and his compassion and his presence transform you to follow his way of life, to follow his way of life. And so we shared a few ideas uh, last week of some ways to pay attention to the presence of God, to follow Jesus. I want to draw your attention to something. We sent out an email this week that uh, Neil sent out to the whole church about a new thing we're doing called formation groups, which are just groups of three or four people uh, in the same gender to get together once a week or so or a couple times a month to spend time in the Word together. And so our hope is for anybody that's joining formation groups this fall, we're going to be reading through the New Testament where you're looking at the life of Jesus through the four Gospels and then listening to and letting the Spirit teach you through early Christian reflections from people like Paul and Peter and James and John as they're reflecting on the life of Christ and what that means for us as the people of God. That's what the New Testament is. It's shaping and forming us. So the hope in formation groups is that you're spending time in the Word, letting the Word of God dwell in you, make its home in you, but also discussing it in the way it's intersecting your real life here and now in this world, in this moment, with a group of brothers or sisters in Christ. And so if you're interested in finding ways just to spend time in the Word with other people, formation groups are a great way to do that. You can check out our website. Uh, you can look back at the email if you got the email. Um, and stay tuned for more details about how to get engaged in those. But we hope that will be helpful for us as we think about what does it mean to follow Jesus in this season right now. Um, today we're going to look at kind of what's the point? What's the point? Is life this endless kind of like indefinite wilderness that we just kind of like hang on and survive? Or what is God actually wanting to cultivate in us? And what's he doing in the big picture of this world? And we're going to see this morning that he's building a kingdom and he's transforming lives. And so we're going to take a moment and pray that actually today would be a piece of that moment, that he'd be transforming us from the inside out, and he'd be continuing to advance and establish and magnify his reign on earth as it is in heaven. Uh, so let's pray for a moment together. And Jesus, we right now want to calm our hearts before your presence. We read right here in your word that you said I am with you always. He said, look, pay attention. Behold, I am with you all the time. Every day, 
in every moment, all the way to the end of the age. And so would you open our hearts right now to know your presence. I pray for people that have maybe never known your relational presence, that today their spirit would just open up and you would awaken their hearts to know that you are real, that you are present, that you are with them, whether in this room or in homes or backyards around the city. Would you help us as we consider your presence to see your love, your compassion, your tenderness, your care, your kindness, and would it transform us from the inside out to be people who love you, our God, our maker, the creator of the heavens and the earth, that we would love you and worship you and praise you and walk with you and desire you and treasure you, and that we would love our neighbors as ourselves. So we need your help, Holy Spirit. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Um, I don't know kind of your ex- experience with vehicles. Uh, for, for me, this uh, I was like the first time in my life I've ever had like a semi-reliable vehicle and it feels amazing. For the past year or so, it's like it has heat and air conditioning, which is incredible. It's like the first time in years my car is like successfully heated up in the winter and cooled down in the summer, which feels great. And it's good. I, it was about a year and a half ago when my previous vehicle, which was like all of my vehicles throughout all of my life before uh, kind of bit the dust. And, uh, and I, I remember for, for, I was driving it around for a long time. And, and for me, it's like, you know, you, you hear the noise, the kind of like clunking or the grinding. And you're like, eh, it might get better. You know, like this, this might magically go away. And so you're just kind of like, eh, it's grinding a little bit. Maybe you're maybe way more responsible than me. But you're like, I don't, I don't want to check it out. I don't want to like take it in because that's going to cost more money than I have. And I don't want to deal with it. And so I'll just like, hope it magically goes away, which is not the way that physics works, right? Like problems don't magically resolve themselves. We delude ourselves into thinking it. And so I was doing that. I was deluding myself for a couple years with this vehicle. I didn't want to spend more money on it. And I was taking a day to go up to the mountains uh, to be with Jesus because that's where he waits for us. You know, he's up there in the mountains and he's like, come hang out with me at Clear Creek Canyon. I'm like, okay, you know, let me get away. And so I'm like driving up to Clear Creek Canyon where I spend time with Jesus. And, uh, and on the way up there, I'm hearing the clunking and the grinding. I'm like, eh, you know, work, please work. And I hang out with Jesus for a while on the river and then I get back in my car and it's like, you know, 30, 30 minutes up the hill and, and my car just like, totally bites the dust. And I'm like understanding enough about vehicles to like try some things and try to work it out. And it was like, nothing's working. It's dead. And it turns out like the whole engine had just like was done. It was totally TKO'd and done. And I had to get a whole new vehicle. And it was this, this huge mess. And the reason why I bring that up is I actually feel something similar. I actually feel something similar when I think about uh, my own kind of like uh, perception of what's been happening in American Christianity for the past several years. It's like you look around and something's clunking, something's grinding, something doesn't feel right. And I can smell a little bit of what's going on. I can kind of see like, hey, there's some symptoms in American Christianity broadly, and it's different in different movements, but there's something not right about, about the way many Americans, not all, but many of us tend to conflate our hope in Christ or the Christian vision of the world with the American vision of the world. We kind of conflate them in ways that lead to 
animosity and angst and anxiety and polarizing experiences and deep sense of loss and constant disappointment and disillusionment and frustration because we have an expectation that the kingdom that God is building is somehow correlated to our progress in American society. And then you hit a year like this and the whole car breaks down. The whole thing breaks down and it's like, man, I, I, I probably should have seen that coming and maybe we talk about it here and we preach about it here and you read about it and you feel about it, but I don't know that we've stopped and said, what just happened? Christianity didn't die, but certain versions of it and certain perversions of it have been revealed, have actually been like shown to be lacking, shown to be faulty, shown to be broken. And that's what we see even in this passage right here is that we're actually seeing a different vision of Christianity, a different understanding of what God's doing in the world that is not one-to-one related with the things happening in this country or in society or in your own personal life, that God is building a different kind of kingdom. He's actually building an entirely different kind of kingdom. And so when we walk through seasons like this where there's brokenness economically, there's divisions politically, there's emotional and relational tension and anxiety and breakdown, there's injustice and then there's animosity and angst and division how to respond to injustice and all these things that just feel, and then the church is in the middle of it, just feel, I just feel broken. Feels so broken. And yet Jesus is actually crying out into the middle of that brokenness, giving us a better, surer hope that he's building a different kind of kingdom and he's doing it by transforming human beings from the inside out. He's building a different type of kingdom and he's doing it by transforming human beings from the inside out. And so if you're familiar with uh, the Gospel of Matthew, what, what we had read this morning is the very end of Matthew's account of the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. We've been spending time in the Gospel of Matthew for the past year or so. We're going to be jumping back into it shortly. We're going to jump into the Sermon on the Mount, which is where we were wrapping up Matthew chapter 5, going into Matthew 6. We're going to get back into the trees. But for these past few weeks, we've been trying to ask, all right, what are, what are the things that Matthew teaches us thematically that kind of help us to understand what the whole thing's about? And this passage at the end really gets to the heart of all of it. That Jesus is breaking into the brokenness of this world to bring the kingdom of God. And he's inviting people like you and me, people that had actually pushed against God's reign, pushed against God's wisdom, pushed against God's love. He's inviting us to be forgiven of our rebellion, to be washed and cleansed, to be filled up with his spirit, to be transformed from the inside out, to be who he designed human beings to be, to be like a true and beautiful version of humanity that shines in this world like a light, like images of God to the world. This is what he's doing, and this passage gets to the heart of it. If you kind of are paying attention to the flow of the Gospel of Matthew, this this section in Matthew 28 is happening after the resurrection of Jesus. And so the whole story begins with Jesus, this baby that's born to this impoverished family. They're chased out of Israel because of political oppression. This Herod, the Tetrarch over Judea, sees this coming king as a potential threat to his kingdom and as a fear and a desire to squash potential threats to the things that he's built and the things that he feels identity and glory in. He actually commissions all of the children, the baby boys in Bethlehem where this child was purportedly born to be killed. And so Jesus is taken by his mother and adopted father out of Bethlehem to Egypt. He then comes back and the story kind of picks up when he's around 30 years old with very small beginnings. He's humble, He's kind, but he's going preaching a bold message. He's saying the kingdom of God is here. It's right here. And he begins showing people the kingdom, not just preaching it, but showing people when they come to the king, 
there's transformation. And so the sick are healed, the wounded are restored, the vulnerable are loved, the marginalized are welcomed, the outcasts are brought in. And he's building a kingdom. He's transforming lives to be a part of his kingdom. And the, and the tension begins to build as this, this kind of reputation begins to spread and his fame spreads and people hear more and more about him. And so all these expectations about what kind of king is he in, what kind of kingdom is he going to build begin to kind of grow. And so all of his followers are like, he's going he's to push out the Romans and he's going to establish the kingdom of God and he's going to take the throne and we all get to kind of share in his power and his glory. But that's not the way he brought power and glory. He brought it through a cross. He brought it, brought it by being a servant, by laying down his life. Because the kingdom he was building wasn't merely about pushing out and kind of transforming situations and kind of mitigating brokenness. It was about transforming humanity from the root, from the heart, out. And so he laid down his life for his followers, for his people to transform and to redeem. And he rose again from the dead. And he kind of walked through this like 40-day master class of, I'm going to teach my followers about my kingdom and about what it means to be my people. And at the very end of those 40 days, he has this statement. As the people gather around him, his 11 disciples and other followers who are around come to him in Galilee, and they come before him, and it says, now some believed and others doubted. And I love that. I love that. Because these are the 11 it's referring to. Some of the 11 really believed. Their hearts were full of conviction and faith and hope and clarity. And some were really wrestling. What does this mean? And and, and what does it mean that his kingdom isn't squashing the Romans, but it came through a cross? And what does that mean for me? And what does it mean for the way I thought about my life and the type of life I wanted to have and the type of life I expected that Jesus was going to give me? It's, it's shaking up my conceptions of what this following Jesus, of following the Messiah, of being a disciple of Jesus is about. It's, it's changed it. So some people are wrestling with that, and that's maybe where you are. Maybe you have some degree of conviction. I want to follow Jesus, all to Jesus who's saying I surrender, all to him I freely give. I will ever love and trust him in his presence, daily live. Like I want Jesus, I'm going to walk with him. But for most of us, there's doubt, there's confusion, there's tension. There's parts of us that want to follow Jesus and parts of us that don't want to follow Jesus, that want to hang on to values from a different kind of kingdom, values from a different kind of uh, way of life. And so we, we struggle and that's who Jesus is speaking to, people like you and me. And it's people like you and me through whom God changed the world. Changed the world. And so here's what Jesus says. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth is given to me. All authority in heaven and on earth is given to me. What Jesus is saying is I'm, I'm building a different kind of kingdom. I'm building a different kind of kingdom. This, this phrase uh, is so powerful. I feel like it's only in the past few years, like aspects of it that I had never seen before. He, when he's talking about he has authority in heaven and on earth, he's talking about two realms of reality. The earthly realm that you and I see and touch and feel all around us, and then this heavenly spiritual realm where there are powers and principalities and forces at work that are seeking, in some instances, to turn you away from the reign of God. And he's saying, all of it is mine. I have authority over all of it. I can redeem the material world, but I can also liberate you from spiritual bondage and oppression that has enslaved your heart and led you to crushing weights that you were never designed to carry and to, and to hold in this life. And so we've talked about this in the fall or about a year ago a lot with this idea of cosmic geography, which is like a geeky kind of nerdy way of, of talking about the reality that there are unseen powers at play in our world right now. And if you're new to Christianity, that sounds weird. Uh, but Christianity is 
a religion. It's a, it's a worldview that believes that there are unseen realities like God, for example, like the Holy Spirit, and also spiritual beings and spiritual forces that, that actually are at war right now for the hearts and souls of human beings. And the way the Bible kind of unpacks the narrative is that there are, in the nations of the earth, in all the nations, there are spiritual beings that have a delegated authority that are actually corrupting and deceiving humanity in different ways, in different cultures. And America is no exception. It's no exception. It's not God's special nation that has no darkness and no brokenness. It's not one-to-one the kingdom of God. It's another kingdom built by human beings that is kind of trying to kind of propose a way to life. And this is the way it's been from the very beginning. So from the very beginning of the story, human beings were made to live in the presence of God under his reign. It's like a kingdom where he's king over his creation and where everyone is listening to the words of the king and walking in his presence and experiencing his love and trusting his wisdom and walking by his instruction and then reflecting his love and his kindness and his justice and his mercy and his patience and all of his character. And this is, this is the way the world was supposed to be. Humanity at harmony with God, with one another, and with creation. It's like the kingdom of God. It's beautiful. And when human beings, like the first ones and you and I, said, no, God, I'm going to go my own way. I'm going to push against your reign, rebel against your reign. The biblical terminology is sin against God. When we sin against God, we are now separated from God, separated from his kingdom, and experiencing now an internal brokenness that then manifests itself externally in relationships and societies and civilizations and systems and nations. And as we live in those experiences, in whatever nation of the earth or whatever culture or whatever city or whatever family system, we are all finding ways to try to build the kingdom back without God. We're building like little towers of Babel, trying to build back to peace, build back to shalom, build back to wholeness and joy and hope and justice and rest and all the things you want without God. And it's never worked for any nation ever because there are spiritual forces that are lying and deceiving and enslaving people to trust in a system that can never give life. And so you sacrifice yourself at the altar of these gods. And in America, it's like the altar of individualism, freedom, economic progress, sexual freedom, this kind of, this, this desire to live your own life however you want, for whoever you want, with whoever you want, for your own advancement, your own progress. In this sense that if we can build and we can kind of cooperate enough with enough kind of like shared interest to, to build something amazing, then we can build a utopic society here. And there's a conservative version of that utopic society and there's a progressive version of that utopic society, neither of which is the kingdom. Never has been, never will be. No political leader is going to bring the kingdom. Never has, never will. No nation will establish the reign of God on earth. Never has, never will. Tim Keller wrote an article years back uh, that was called Ken or How Does Christianity Fit Inside of a Two-Party System? And it was like, it doesn't. It doesn't fit. It doesn't fit. Why? Because the kingdom of God transcends the American governmental system. The kingdom of God also confronts progressive and conservative values and issues of brokenness in candidates and platforms. And the kingdom of God also overlaps in really powerful and stunning ways with certain values and desires that are coming from human beings who bear the image of God and have dignity and value and worth. And so it's like this place where you kind of operate, where you're like, you're operating within, you're voting, and you're kind of processing your values, but it's not the kingdom. It's not going to bring the kingdom. And what happens is when we put our hope in that system, that system will disappoint again and again and again. And often in the place of that disappointment, we react with anger, with animosity, with polarizing rhetoric, divisiveness, angst, 
hopelessness, depression that works itself out in all sorts of ways. And it's because we're conflating the kingdom of God with American progress or whatever version of it you want. And it will crush and it will fail again and again and again until America is like all the other dynasties before, all the other empires before, a part of history. That you can look back and think, what were the gods of that nation and how did that nation crumble under the false gods that crushed a people group? And Jesus breaks in and he says, all authority in the heavenly realm and on the earthly realm, it's mine. All the people are mine. I have power over the spiritual realm. I have power over all of it. And I'm calling people from all nations to be reconciled to God. And I'm building a kingdom that is comprised of people from every ethnicity, every nation, and every people group, and every tongue. And I'm bringing them into a different kind of kingdom. And when you can root yourself in that kingdom, there's a joy, even in the midst of the ebbs and flows and the waxing and the waning and the tension and the animosity. And when your kind of like desired outcomes fail, the kingdom of God has not failed. It has not failed. It is not failing now. It's not failing now. And so God is building a kingdom. Jesus is building this kingdom. And he's doing it by transforming people from the inside out which is what he says here. So he says, all authority in heaven and on earth is given to me, so go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. He's actually saying, what I'm doing in the world is I'm creating a movement of renewed humanity. I'm renewing humanity to their original purpose, their original design. And that's what a disciple is. It's somebody that's actually becoming fully and beautifully human. How does that happen? We have to understand how you, how you kind of began to experience dehumanization. And it was from that experience of sin. When you reject the reign of God, you're separated from his love. Now there's a separation between you and God. And in that place, you're internally trying to fill up all of this void and this loss. And so you begin to clamor and to kind of look for things in this life apart from God to fill up your longing for justice, fill up your longing for peace, fill up your longing for love and acceptance and power and purpose and all of it. And you're trying and you're trying. And as you're trying, you're now extending that sense of brokenness and angst on other people. And now there's relational and social pain and darkness. And so when Jesus comes in, he doesn't come in and say, I'm going to fix all your social structures. He will ultimately, actually. But he does it by dealing with the root cause. I'm going to reconcile you to your maker. I'm going to forgive you of your sin. I'm going to pay the price for your rebellion. I'm going to wash you and cleanse you and fill you up with my Holy Spirit. And when you know my love and you abide in my love and you are receiving and walking in my love and presence the way humanity was made to walk, when you do that, then you find internal healing, emotional healing, psychological healing, spiritual healing, and that begins to work itself out with love and with kindness, the heart for justice and rest and peace. And this is what Jesus is actually talking about. He's like, I want you to make fully, truly humans by telling people what I've done for the world, that I laid down my life to bring forgiveness and salvation and healing to the world. And when you receive that, that's what baptism signifies. Baptism signifies a union with Christ. You've been reconciled to God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And that's expressed by going into the waters of baptism, saying, my old way of life is dead. This new way of life is risen with Christ. Christ is with me. The Spirit is in me. And now I'm human. I'm experiencing love and joy and peace. And that's going to take time to work itself out, which is why I love what Jesus says. He goes, and then in that place of that union, under that grace, and in that place of love, be teaching them progressively little by little, to observe all that I've commanded. 
It's a process of being conformed to the image of Christ, of actually being transformed from the inside out, and it takes time. It takes time to let that love bring healing and, and teach you how to show forgiveness and grace and mercy. It takes time. Like a child's development takes time. Spiritual development takes time. You don't get mad at a baby for not being a four-year-old. You don't get mad at the four-year-old, or you ought not to get mad at the four-year-old for not being a 10-year-old. And you don't get mad at the 10-year-old or the junior high kid for being a junior high. They're walking through stuff. Junior high kids are getting their prefrontal frontal cortex like forming. And so there's all that stuff, you know, like the, I'm looking at a junior high teacher. He's like, yes, yes, that's, that's right. That's exactly what's happening. But you're like, that's where they are in development. And a good parent or a good leader knows that and they love them where they are and they create a context where they can be loved and cared for and helped in their journey. And that's what Jesus is doing. He says, I'm with you all the time. I'm with you. I love you. I'm patient. I'm gracious. I'm forgiving. When you wander, I'm right here. When you doubt, I'm right here. When you get angry and you mess up and you blow it, I'm right here. I'm right here in this process of you learning to follow me, learning what it means to be like me, to be like Christ, to be Christ-like, to be Christian. That's what it means. Little Jesus version, little like your own personal version of Jesus walking through and showing love. And that's what Jesus commanded. He commanded us to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love our neighbors as ourselves. I've heard people say to me over the past months, you gotta stick to preaching the gospel. I will never stop preaching the gospel. Never stop. But we're supposed to make disciples, which means telling people the good news of what God has done for you in Christ, the good news of how he's reconciled us to God by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, and in the context of that relationship, in that love, in that space of grace, to actually live into and obey everything he commanded, which is summarized by this law of love to be people of love, to love God and love others and to sacrifice your life for the good of others, not to earn something, not to deserve something, not to earn your way to heaven, but because Christ's love is in you. His spirit is in you. And the evidence of his spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and goodness and faithfulness and self-control. That's the evidence that his spirit is in you. And that takes time to let that work itself out. And all the while, Jesus said, I'm with you. I'm with you always. And I love how he ends this, this moment. He says, even to the end of the age. I love that because it says there's an end to this age. The wilderness has an end point. The wilderness has an ending. It will not go on as tension and pain and grief and loss and injustice and failure and setback and regret and despair and hopelessness. It won't go on forever and ever and ever. Jesus says, I'm coming again. And I will make everything new. I will make everything new. I will bring joy into this world and it will shine like the sun on a summer day. I will bring hope and it will radiate. I will bring rest and people will find shalom and joy and a deep breath. I will give justice. I will take the pain and the suffering and loss and I will redeem it to bring an incomparable weight of glory. I will wipe away your tears and I will make the whole thing new and you will dwell with me and I with you and you with each other in this world, all things new forever and ever and ever. That's the Christian hope. And it anchors us and it gives us purpose and meaning. Walk with Jesus, help other people see him and know him. Walk with him as he continues to rehumanize you and watch him through the preaching of his gospel and the ministry of one another as we help one another learn his way of life. Watch him rehumanize the world 
And this is a movement that will not shake, it will not shatter, it will not falter, even in the ebbs and tides of this cultural moment. This is our hope. We pray that God would do it in us and through us. So let's pray together. Jesus, we need you even now. We need your mercy and your grace. We need your spirit to speak, give hope. That that, that verse we shared, um, that we've returned to the shepherd and overseer of our souls. Jesus, be a good shepherd. Be the good shepherd and tend to your sheep. Bring back the wandering. Tend to the weary and the wounded. Encourage the faint-hearted. Bind us together through your love. We pray in Christ's name, amen. I want to give you a moment to just reflect on what God might be doing in your own heart. Um, So just two simple questions. What is the Holy Spirit speaking to you this morning? What's he doing in your heart? Stirring you up to follow Jesus? Is there confusion, questions, conviction, encouragement? What's he doing in your heart? What's he speaking to you? Just ask God, what what do you want me to hear from you today? And the second question is how will you respond? How will you respond to the voice of God through the Holy Spirit this morning? How will you respond? So reflect on those questions, and then we'll come back to celebrate the Lord's table together.